Welcome to the Muck Spout Podcast. Um, got ben with me. I intended to bring these down later, but they're here now too. So from <laughs> Belial. Um, and oh <laughs> all right, see you guys. Chuck just took, took them out. Um, so, anyways, how you doing, Ben? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. I uh, I caught that Bowie uh, documentary. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, it was really great. Very cool. Uh, any any like uh, interesting things that you didn't know about his life that uh, kind of stood out to you? You know, the one thing that was really cool about it was that it wasn't necessarily like one of those like play by plays through somebody's life, like a lot of documentaries about a person might be. But it was actually right. like, taken from interviews of him. So ninety nine percent of it is him speaking about uh, philosophies on things. Um, hmm. Um, just from sexuality to religion. Um, it was, you know, what the biggest thing that I took away from it was thinking about, um, like about how he was, I never think of him as like contemporary to like bands like the Beatles and like he, his, he's only four years younger than George Harrison. And yeah. Spiders from Mars was like early seventies, wasn't it? Yeah. Like the, um, his like his first album was four years after the Beatles' first album. So yeah, like they're. I just never think of them as as being in the same mix. Like yeah, I mean it's similar to Frank Zappa and and his contemporaries, where you know like yeah, it was just such a remarkable time. There's so many different things going on that they it doesn't even feel like it all happened at once. But when you actually yeah. look at it, you're like holy shit, there's a hell of a lot happening all all in one. Uh, uh, hello again. I, honestly, I was interested in the conversation. So I like, gotta tell Fuck you, it, we're coming in. <laughs> the problem is that me and Chuck own our account together here because we both do live streams through the same one. So Chuck has the same powers that, that does I. sound like a problem. Yeah, it is a well, big problem. <laughs> like giving me the key to your house, it's stupid. <laughs> no, so it's funny that you guys mentioned that because there's things like like there's all sorts of cool little things like um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Motorhead, Lemmy. Do you know that Lemmy was the guitar tech for uh, Jimi Hendrix? No. Yeah, I just learned that. So, you know, it's so funny how so many of these people overlap and, and, and work within each other's circles and whatnot. And you, you think of them so separated. I mean, Lemmy only died like a little over 10 years ago or so. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I always think of Bowie as more um, late 70s, 80s. But like he had 17 albums by the time he put out like his biggest like breakthrough in the 80s. Well, it's not a breakthrough. That's a poor choice of words. But you know what I mean? Like before, like let's dance. He became mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's yeah. wild. <laughs> Have 17 albums at all is wild. But 17 yeah. like at the beginning of the 80s. So it was a really cool documentary. Like I highly recommend it. A lot of great concert footage and just amazing visuals. It was I, cool. I didn't realize that he had done anything before Trent Reznor gave him a shot. So <laughs> and that was nice of Trent, by the way. <laughs> That's funny. There's actually a funny quote I, I uh, read the other day about Lemmy uh, 
working for Jimmy as his guitar tech, someone asked him, like, what did you learn from Jimi Hendrix while you worked with him? He's like, yeah, I learned not to play guitar. That's why I picked up the bass. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. How I mean, do you, how, do you, how, how do you be? How do you get to be Jimi Hendrix's guitar tech, and you're still like, yeah, pretty good, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I mean, but there's all sorts of that shit. Like, um, the, the Eagles. Mm. Do you know that the Eagles were Linda Ronstadt's ba backing band? Uh. What? Holy shit. Yeah. Trivia night knowledge is, is showing. Oh, dude, that's my yeah. shit. Yeah. I mean, ben knows it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah the trivia stuff. That's right. Um, yeah. So, in full disclosure, um, Chuck and Ben have been friends since they were kids, basically. Since I was a kid. He was a grown adult. He was already, <laughs> he was already pretty much married. <laughs> yeah. And uh, me and Chuck co write a uh, podcast. Um, to get story together and co-authored a book and uh, he edits a lot of my stuff. And um, so, and he I actually edit all our stuff. <laughs> and then Sean is just awesome on his own. He doesn't need all the support of me and Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so Chuck, Sean, um, you guys have your Kickstarter launched a couple weeks ago. Yep. You're um, just $1 shy of $4,000 right now. So if anybody watching wants to um, boast that they knocked them over 4000 it's really cheap right now. Dude, yeah. <laughs> you get to be a hero for a dollar. Good for you. Yeah, you don't even have to get the comic to do it. <laughs> we suggest you, you don't get, get the, the comic. comic. <laughs> you know, this is for the best. Give us a dollar. Mike, shut us up for a little bit, and you don't have to read our crap. Like, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we brought these guys on because the music has been a part of their comic since the beginning. Um, I even I even did a music piece for them in their for their second uh, Kickstarter, and um, and this Kickstarter they actually have a song that was created to uh, accompany it. So you, you did you did that, which is very music inspired too, buddy. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, I love that cover. <laughs> so. Um, you're muted, yeah, Chuck. I know. I muted myself. I was just nodding along. Okay. Just making sure. Well, now's the point where you can actually talk because I want to hear about what is your Kickstarter about. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So Belial is the original. It's it's an action comedy about the original creator of Hell trying to take his domain back from Lucifer and the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And in this third issue, because along the way, he's been taking on different horsemen to get his powers back. So in issue one, he came out strong and he went, you know what? Let's treat this like jail. I'm going to take on the biggest dude there and, and cut him right away. And so he went after war. Defeated war, got his powers. In issue two, he moved on and he had to deal with both pestilence and famine. When they were dealt with, no spoilers, I won't tell you how, um, he was able to get those powers. Now he has most of his powers back. He's almost ready to take on Lucifer. But you gotta, you gotta get them all. It's like Pokemon, only cooler. So he goes after death. Death is a tough one. So in this issue, he's going after death, but he's also dealing with the betrayal of a very important ally. So this issue is really huge, really big, and it's all building up to this last, the last fourth issue, which will be the big war, Lucifer versus Belial. Awesome. So in this very issue, cool. fourth issue. 
which will be the big war, Lucifer versus Belial. We needed to hear that again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Sorry, I was trying to share the uh, link. I'm just going to do it <laughs> in the uh, stream yard. So, so what's the last issue going to be about, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't quite clear. <laughs> Let's hear it again, folks. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what? I, I I've been you know I've been uh, a, a huge fan of Belial since issue one. Like uh, I I read the first issue and and uh, it it hits all the marks for me because uh, what I look for in a comic book is I I look for a comic that doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, I like an underdog story. And I like a story about um, characters who uh, aren't trying to save the day, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, they can do the right thing. What's that? So they're in it to try to save themselves. Kind yeah. of, yeah, definitely. Yeah, They're definitely not saving um, the day, though. It's not like they're saving the world. <laughs> yeah, I like when that happens by accident more often, you know? But, uh, yeah, I... It's and, and also like it's hell. I mean, it it's so hard. I find maybe you guys can speak to this, but like I find it's so hard to take a subject like um, like damnation and and put a funny spin on it. So when you can do it, it just like it it, it holds something special for me, at least. I like how normally in a hell story, the like hell is just hell. There's just like burning shit everywhere. But like you guys yeah. have bar and like locations within hell, like it's it's like a, <laughs> its own world. I mean, where do they go on their day off? You know, right? <laughs> Can't always so, um, pulling on brimstone. <laughs> I'm curious, where, what was the uh, inspiration for this? Uh, for for me, it originated from. Um, I, wanted, I was looking for a way to kind of deal with the fact that I had felt a while back that I had given enough of myself away in relationships and life and everything that I was doing. And I felt like I gave everything that I had grown to establish as who I was and what I was about. And I gave that away. And so the, the, the telling of this story was my way of trying to work through um, reclaiming that sense of self with something that I've been passionate for since I was a kid. So, and I wanted to do it in a way that was kind of, um, well, I went like, I went to a private school for like seven years. So that was the, the mechanism of it. And I knew had enough background knowledge that way that it didn't require too much more research to kind of get into mm -hmm. that. And, um, so when I had pitched it to Chuck and he came back with the comedic spin to the story, um, I really felt like it, it kind of resonated with me, especially because um, through all those different traumas and giving away of myself and stuff like that, I developed the sense of humor as, a, as the coping mechanism. So what better way to address these traumas that I had with the co than with the coping me mechanisms that I developed along the way as well? It right. just seemed to fit. Yeah. And comedy is like there really is something special about using uh, laughter to kind of work through your bullshit, right? Especially when it's bullshit that's like imposed on you, you know, where you have no control over it and you can't even stop it when it's happening. You know, the best thing you can do is just kind of crack wise about it and get everybody j uh, g giggling a little bit. And then you can, you know, hopefully 
uh, withstand the slings and arrows for another day or two, you know? So I've been involved since... Go, oh, I, th right. I think once you go through enough different things that kind of challenge um, your baseline of what normal is, eventually you even start looking at the more hardcore stuff and just saying, all right, dude, what's next? And yeah. just finding a way to laugh about it because really you're like, okay, that figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So I've been involved in a lot of projects that require a lot of research. How do you even begin to research Belial? Like what, what is, where does Belial originate from? Um, while doing uh, research, I know demonology and stuff like that. When I was going through um, the, my private school and we had a lot of foster kids. And one of the tools that my, my real parents gave me was I was basically the lookout for some of these kids and we were, on the verge of getting uh, some of these kids that came from like a Luciferian type of house, which is like the darker side of Satanism and stuff oh. like that. So as one of those prepper preparatory things, they were like, okay, well, you're like one of the oldest kids in the house. We're going to give you the tools to kind of be the lookout as to what to look for. So I got a big fat, it was a green folder and it was full of information. There was contracts, there was alphabets, symbols, there was um, things to kind of look out for. And in fact, I ended up getting really, I dove really deep into it and I ended up going to school and I brought it with me and I, and the teachers actually found it and I got sent to the principal slash pastor's office, but it, it, it only helped to kind of like increase the interest. Mm -hmm. And so when going through all that stuff, um, I noticed there was like uh, trying to come up with an idea for a comic book and this story and what things to use uh, I kind of saw there was a saturation of like super superhero type stories and stuff like that. So I was like, well, let's just go back to what I know. And one of the things that stood out for me, if I was going to tell this story, is that if you look in some of the oldest contexts that are known, um, Belial uh, was thought to be created to rule hell by God. And so he was just doing his job. He's not good. He's not evil. You know, he was created to be this ruler of hell. And then he's the later, gas pump attendant. What's that? He's the gas pump attendant. Like someone yeah. hired him. No one knows why. He's stuck there. Don't be an asshole to him. That's all. Yeah. And so I thought it was fun to say, okay, well, now I also liked Dante's Inferno. So I was like, let's let's bring that into it and say that he's the one that created. He's like, this is your job. This is your building. And now you get to do what you want with it. And so he was the mastermind with the layout and everything else and the mechanics of hell. And I was like, okay, so then once you go even further, you find out when Lucifer was cast out from heaven, he took over <laughs> hell. And so playing with that idea, I was like, okay, maybe he screwed around. Maybe he wasn't taking the job serious and, and let it all fall to pieces. And that was kind of like the, the that, that base of real knowledge that exists that I use as kind of a catalyst to kind of, uh, find that launching point for where the story was headed. That's awesome. Love it. Um, th the next question is, um, you know, you have a, you have a green day inspired uh, cover. You have a meatloaf fat at a hell inspired cover. You now have a Megadeth uh, rust and peace inspired cover. So obviously music is, uh, is a massive influence. And I mean, who are we fucking kidding here? Like it, your comic is about hell and the best music in the world is is always associated with the devil <laughs> you know <laughs> so 
I'm wondering um, the the music that inspires you when you're when you're writing this. Um, you know, where does it come from? Is it is it the same as the influences that brought you? Um, you know, to this point, or are you drawing from something that you normally don't like a well that you don't normally access? No, I like for me when I'm writing, I'm listening to a lot of the same devil music that I would listen to normally. Slipknot, Lamb of God. Like, I mean, that's why um, his shirt says uh, at the beginning, at least it says, if you're five, 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 then I'm six, six, six. six. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always tapping into that stuff that I've just enjoyed for most of my adult life and well into my teens and such. Um, we did, It's funny, though, how it changed, because when we first started talking about it, before it had the comedic edge, there was a lot of tool influence to it. We, oh, my God. <laughs> Dogs. Um, there was a lot of tool influence to it. So, like, especially the song Right In Two was something that we really, like, dug and we wanted to even be able to add some of it in there. Um, of course, when it took on its comedic edge, it went from Tool to Psycho Stick, which is another band that we've done an homage to. So it's much more comedic. We're having a lot more fun with it. So, yeah, man, it's certainly changed, but I don't feel like I have to listen to anything specific in order to get into it. The heavy metal stuff is already very much a part of me. The comedic stuff is already very much a part of me. I don't think I have to lean into either. I just get to kind of be me when I write it. What about you, Sean? Uh, For me, I guess a lot of the stuff that I dealt with, um, music was always kind of like an escape for what I was going through. And so I find that through the creation and the process of the book, uh, I will often find myself listening to different types of music. And so that'll range from everything from like musical stuff, like um, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the actual Broadway musical, all the way up to, you know, like, like you were saying, like Slipknot, Lamb of God, Tool. And then you've got, of course, no effects, you know, the queers, you know, Jawbreaker, that kind of stuff. So you're, there's there's a full range of stuff and it's whatever kind of hits me as okay so what was I going through when I was doing this and so when I'm inking the book I'm trying to kind of tap in to whatever music I was listening to when I was dealing with those emotions for myself very cool very cool I would love to have a video of you inking Belial while like listening to like Hamilton or some shit. Like, I, was I, was thinking, like, I was thinking, let it go by Frozen. You know, like, <laughs> let it go, let it go. I'm thinking a devil. <laughs> I mean, I could, I could do it. I mean, I do TikTok. So that's not that far. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. It's just waiting to happen now. It's not that he doesn't listen to the soundtrack. He just has an ink to do it. <laughs> he probably, his, I have a daughter. He's probably one of those dolls. Where you press and she starts singing it, and he'll just sing a little bit. <laughs> Does anybody have a favorite song about hell or hell focused? Yes, I do. Um, it's Lamb of God's Walk With Me in Hell. And if you listen to that song, it literally sounds like like you're marching through Hades. And it's just, it's very like almost. I, I don't want to say droning, 
but it's it's very repetitive and so it does feel like you're moving through and the whole song is about a relationship and it's about the fact that you and i are in love and we're together and that's great but the world around us is fucking burning and so just hold my hand because it's gonna get really fucking rough and i i really feel that because of course more than half of my life as as most of you guys know has been spent with the with the same woman and so i feel very much attached to that song because i feel like I've had this one person who has been holding my hand the whole time and the world is burned all around us and we're still walking. We're still going. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely one that and hell's bells by ACDC. A great fucking track. <laughs> I was going to say ACDC hell's bells. You were going to say it's a good one. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. It's, ACDC. it's a great one. Now we're even for the cryptids I stole from you, bro. <laughs> so yeah no acdc hell's bells so that was the obvious for me i mean that's yeah. a lot of the music that i that i had going on when i was a kid and because it always pumped me up whenever i went to a fair or something that was the music that was always playing when you were on those janky ass rides <laughs> you know finding out whether that was where you were headed once this person put you on this rickety maybe it's missing a bolt you don't know kind of ride yeah <laughs> there's an alkaline trio song called um hell yes that i love and it's about a guy who was failed by prayer and um he's kind of singing it's kind of, it's kind of like a complaint letter i guess at the beginning to god like you you were there for me one time when it didn't matter and like kind of like where are you and um so that's why he says hell yeah or hell yes Good one. It'll be on our playlist for this episode. <laughs> yeah, you caught me on the spot, man. I actually can't think of a song about hell that I really like that isn't hasn't already been said. I'm amazed. <laughs> You're I'm gonna gonna be out of Heavens no hell yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I, blown away. Cause look, when it comes to music, and I think the problem is there's too many songs in his head, and they're all like he's just like can't find one like I just, oh. I, you know what it is? It's it's that thinking of one that's specifically about hell, because I, I resonate with with lyrics on so many different levels. I don't know what song I would pick that's just about hell. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like I the one that the, the one that jumps into mind is not about hell, but it's about like the afterlife. It's just ten thousand days. Oh, um, by Tool. And uh, there's this line that every time I hear it, I, I I think, I swear to you, I know that this is probably not the case. I think Maynard has already cleared this up. But I always feel like the 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 eyes you're looking through in the lyrics are Lucifer's. Because he's talking about, you know, like there's this one line where he says, um, uh, I can't remember the exact the exact words but basically he says he's approaching the gates of heaven and he's like you can finally bang on the gates and say give me my wings and it like it just hits me every time it's like you know like how much how much torture do you have to go through before you can yeah. come back home and just be like this is my house yeah 
So, Chuck, when uh, did you have something else to add to that? No, no, no. I, we could talk. Ben and I have we, such we a connection to that song. For the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah. We, we have such a connection to that song. We could talk about that song forever. So, no, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So we've I've, already got a twenty-four-year podcast between the two of us about music. So it's. <laughs> so I've read uh, I've read Belial three, um, as well as the previous two, and uh, I loved it. And not just saying that to be nice because you're my friend. Um, it was it really it was it was a really strong issue. Um, it was also there was actually I didn't even notice it until you pointed it out to me afterwards. There was a very strong tie between the third one and the first one. So like my recommendation to somebody would be before you read this one, read those first two. And then when you're done reading this one, read that first one. <laughs> like that's that's the cycle you should pretty much do. Um, just keep reading Belial. <laughs> but, um, you want to I know we won't talk about any specifics around that, but you want to talk about how writing that kind of worked out. I mean, that was something that we had planned literally since day one, like since the outline. Yeah. Um, that was something that Sean and I, that, that cool beat at the end of issue three, um, we, we had that planned all along. And that was something that it, it came up a lot in my comedic training where in comedy, they would tell you, if you come back to something that you've already done and you're able to circle back to it, the crowd's going to think you're fucking brilliant but you're just mental and you've got this thing stuck in your head. So any chance you can, can take to come back to something full circle will just blow minds. And I was like, great. And that was something that we had plotted again, like I said, since the outline is that that one little beat. And that was going to be our, our moment of brilliance, you know, where, and, and again, it's not brilliant necessarily if you've already planned it out, but if it hits, no, but it's it, it is a sign of strong writing though. Like to, to like, if you, if you are able to like predict in advance how like, like that's the magic of foreshadowing, right? That's really what foreshadowing is, is like kind of knowing it's coming and no one else does. And then there's a moment later where you're like, Oh shit. And I love a good story arc where I want to go back to the first issue or the first couple issues because something happened. You're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. That's like, to me, that's that's the magic, right? Especially yeah. in comic books, because it comes in such short formats that if you can carry that stuff through, it just it lands so hard. I love it. I was actually kind of surprised when we did the first issue that not more people questioned the seriousness of the first five pages of the issue. Mm -hmm. We had some people that were like, I really enjoyed the transition or I really enjoyed the first part, but nobody really questioned it. And, and so I was like, okay, well, you know, may, maybe, maybe when it comes back around, they'll actually have more appreciation. We had questions about the people involved in the first, if first issues. So knowing that we were going to get back to that kind of stuff was actually kind of uh, fulfilling and, and really a proud moment too. So. Very cool. It's beautiful. I, I had fun with that first page because. I was very specific. The ver first page of the first book, I was very specific to not mention the relationship between the woman and the man who was dying. And for me, it was a lot of fun because for those of you who haven't read it, it's the first page. So these aren't really spoilers, but she 
has to see this guy die. She's so adamant. And her husband's like, you're pregnant. Like, you really need to go. This is going to affect the baby and stuff. And she's like, no, no, no. I need to watch him die. And he dies. And then we, we get to follow him into hell. But I had a lot of people come to me and go, like, why was he so angry? Why was she so angry at her uncle? And I'd be like, why are you so angry at your uncle? And they're like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I didn't fucking say uncle, man. And they're like, different people had different relationships. Like, you know, some people were like, oh, why, why were they so angry at their dad? Why were they so, and they, different things. And I was like, I didn't say their relationship, man. So that's on you. What is your issue with that person? They're like, oh, shit. That, that reminds me of that. That uh, that joke about Rorschach from The Watchmen, where they're like, Rorschach is one of my favorite heroes. It's just too bad that his mask has a picture of my parents fighting on it. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and as far as the uh, the story goes in the third one, I love the the final resolution. Like we can't really talk story details there, but um, I was it was unique. Thank you. Yeah, that was um, something we were pretty excited about as far as we really needed to dig in and lead towards that last issue. Like we needed people to know that that uh, we weren't going to screw around. We weren't suddenly going to be like, oh, there's three more issues. It's going to be seven. It's going to be whatever. Like, no, no, no. It's coming, guys. And this one's going to be a big one. Uh, I have questions about uh, two characters. Um, to me, they're the two that like, so the story is about Belial. It's also about the horseman. It's kind of about Lucifer, even though he's not like a major fixture in the comic. It's kind of like everything is revolving around him being the big boss man, right? Um, but there are two characters that I think are pivotal that um, I'm curious, like who was involved in the development of these characters specifically? Uh, one I kind of know about, but I just want to hear more about it. Um, and those two are Mammon and Link. Um, because I feel like as much as the comic is about, you know, the horseman and Belial and Lucifer, the story kind of, as it develops, kind of hinges on those two in a lot of ways. I was, I, I wanted to, I wanted to hear your thoughts on like, how did these characters kind of come to be? And like, what, uh, what was the reason that you, that you felt they were necessary to include? So for me, and Ben would know this better than anybody, I'm very much a, the idea of, the child is raised by the village. And so as much as Belial is reclaiming his throne, I, I don't believe that we do anything solely on our own. It's the people in our lives that strengthen us, that fuel us. You know, Sean is taking back um, his life, but he's not doing it alone. He's got an amazing girlfriend who's who's got his back. He's got, you know, those of us who love him and, and his collaborators, family, fans, all that kind of stuff. And all so the and getting very longing, Chuck realized he was part of Sean's life from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> and, Morgan Freeman? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> um yeah, so those two characters became important to me because I wanted him to have that, that backing. And so, you know, of course 
Link was that infusion of humor. And Mammon was the one who was going to be the hard ass. You know, Belial was going to need someone who was going to be kind of that tough friend who's going to give you the truths that you don't want to hear. And he was kind of the straight man as well. Pardon me? He was kind of the straight man in the story as well. And as far as comedy goes, he was the guy that never laughed at the jokes and was always like kind of treating everything seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Even while there was hilarious shit going on, like people vomiting everywhere and like, you know, you know, a threesome happening in the back corner of the bar. And he's just, you know, like, yeah, it's a living, you know, it's Thursday again. He's the one that was that he's he's like um, a sim- symbolic representation of the friend who knows what you're going through, knows that if he tells you 50 million times, this is the thing that you're going to have to figure out for yourself, but he's going to be there for you when you do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's appropriate that he's a bartender in the story as well, because that's kind of what bartenders do, right? They sit and listen to your problems and they give you a little advice and a little liquid courage and send you off. (laughs) Yeah. Mammon, the actual demon, because that is a, I didn't just take that from nowhere. It, there is an actual demon, and he is the demon of greed. Mm. So the fact that he was taking care of the money and taking care of all the, the that other stuff and whatnot, and and of course, I find that people who focus on money tend to be pretty fucking serious people. Like they 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 yep. they're, they're not usually incredibly funny people. Now that doesn't mean that. You know, people who are funny aren't going to make money, but people who focus on that money tend to be pretty fucking serious. Very practical, and they're always um, figuring out the risk versus reward. Yes. And then making their decisions based on that analysis. My girlfriend's ears are burning right now from our bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, she's the responsible one in the relationship for sure. I would have guessed that without even knowing at all. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get this far, like, definitely, as Chuck said, I didn't get this far on my own. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so, you got any uh, other questions, Eric? Nothing uh, written down, but... <laughs> all right, well, okay. I, I have questions about uh, the writing process, because... Um, I have a little bit of background since, you know, Chuck and I, we go back. Um, I know that this was Sean's idea uh, and you brought it to Chuck. So I'm wondering where's the chicken and where's the egg here? You know what I mean? Like who instigated what and how did the story develop and what is it like working on something collaboratively in terms of writing? I mean, Eric can speak to this too, because you work with Chuck. Um, I, I try not to work with Chuck very much. We, we just don't get along very well, but Smart. look what it did to me and Sean. <laughs> <laughs> you have a good head of hair, man. <laughs> so I'll be back next episode with just no hair. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I guess you could say that the, I guess, I don't know, the birth of the story itself. So the egg probably came first in this scenario. And um, I think Chuck would be the legitimate uh, foster parent to the story. He helped raise the idea and be, help it become what it is. Definitely with the with the visitations coming back over to me once <laughs> once he's had his input and 
you know, formulating a good uh, structure to it and stuff like that. So um, the, 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 the base of it, yeah, is it was mine. But then, you know, the fleshing out and the fruition of the idea re- is reliant on Chuck's ability to kind of lean into it. I feel like you, Sean, are very much the egg. And then I got to sit on you and warm you up and make your idea explode into a cute little chick. <laughs> and I, okay. I bet there were so many analogies in that. I just went five different directions. I don't know how to feel about myself now. <laughs> All I know is time. I feel like I sat on your face and I'm happy. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I got from that. No, from working with Chuck, I, um, I imagine that it started out very much like you and then probably a third of the way or so through that first or second issue, it probably became straight up 50, 50, you and Chuck. Like I, I know that's kind of how our stuff has kind of worked out. Like, okay. So originally was going to bring him on for ideas and to help write it and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, but we got to a point where I did definitely pitch the idea to Chuck say, Hey, Chuck, you're putting in so much to the story and it's really reliant on how much you're doing. And I appreciate that so much that I said, Hey, Hey Chuck, how about you come on and you're going to be the co-creator. And I kind of came off of a situation on a previous book where I kind of got burned mm-hmm. as a co-creator that didn't get recognition. And I wanted to make sure that the validity of the efforts that people put into the book and that Chuck would get recognition for that too. And so he was like, dude, are you, are you sure? Like, I understand what just happened. Are you sure? Yeah. And I said, absolutely. I won't finish. I won't, I won't finish the book without you, man. And so through the good times and the bad times and the processes and ups and downs of creation and life and friendships and everything else, you know, the constant is that I won't do the book without him. Just, he is just as much the book at this point as I ever was. So, and he reminds you of that every day. <laughs> so, you guys want to go through the uh, rewards and stuff a bit? Like I can pull up the. And... Okay. All yeah, right, sure. Okay. No, why not? I have to figure out real quick how to do this. Um, I love that you, you offered to do something you didn't know how to do. <laughs> hey, do you guys want to go, um, fly like we'll fly in a plane okay i just need to find a plane and learn how to drive it but but after that how to fly i'm out of here you guys suck <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay here's oh, all we did it and here's the kickstarter all right, so yeah, there. That's the that, the back that, that we have. Three nine nine nine. Three nine nine nine. Through each one of the campaigns, we've had kind of that backdrop, and if you've noticed, we've kind of added characters to our Last Supper bar top, so to speak, as we've gone. Mm-hmm. So people that have been there, they've been able to watch the table grow as the characters were brought in, and Greg did a really good job of depicting each one of their kind of characteristics in that as well. So that's been a yeah, lot that's of brilliant. And by the does way, that mean, sorry, does that mean, mean that there's an, a, there's a final that's already kind of drawn and figured out and you're just kind of like cutting characters in? No, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, can we just elongate this table and throw these characters on there? And he's like, 
okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. So they nice. fit in where they fit in at this point. So Belial Very used cool. to be the center of the table when this all started, and now it's this amalgamation of all the characters. <laughs> That's awesome. You want to go through um, the reward tiers? or? Yeah. All right. So here's the so we've rest. Got, we're starting with our, our – is that the digital? Oh, oh is this your – oh, yeah, you picked. Oh, there's the one I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, you chose the rest in peace. Nice. <laughs> Shout out to Chris Mad. Wicked work, by the way. I also yeah. uh, added in the uh, – to get Greg's cover because I like Greg's work. Well, so speaking of Greg's work, if we go down the main page right here, this is the main cover of Belial 3, and this is Greg's cover. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> the sign, you both suck. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. He, when he drew it, he drew the sign, and I said, because those two characters are, um, during the making of this book, my stepdad passed away, and uh, Sean's grandfather passed away. So we decided to bring them into hell and and make them characters. And that's been fun. And he drew the sign, but it didn't. I think it said like Austin 666 or something funny like that. And I was like, can it just say you both suck? And he was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I'm just like, because you always have these signs that are like, you know, Belial or, or Mammon or whoever. And I was like, no, nah, man, fuck them both. Like, that's just funny shit. And, you know. Link is taking bets, and we got like, dude, it's just like, it's chaos. It's so much fun. It's hell. I love this cover so much. Yeah, it's super fun. So on the yeah. on the campaign page, we do have the the first like ten pages. I think it is. Of, five actually. I, I recounted it. Or, is there only five pages on here? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, as you can see, like we have dick punches. We have. Uh, Kickstarter uh, logo sensor marks just to kind of give you guys all an idea of where we're going. You get the basis of the characters. There's, you know, funny. (laughs) Yeah. So, and it's fun. And honestly, um, I was trying to butter up the whole Kickstarter people with that logo just so that way they were Uh, like, Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, we go from the old days to um, what the bar and stuff has become now. And then you go right into kind of getting a feel of what's going on. And then you have the introduction of Stephen Gord as comic side relief when Link has gone missing in the previous issue. So we, we still wanted to have some sort of comedic mechanism that existed throughout the book. And so there you'll see like the main cover and the title itself. Um, further down, you'll see that there's the uh, digital um editions i tried to use different images for that just to represent that you can watch it on your you know if you have a smart tv you can probably cast it to your tv if that was your thing you know your laptop your cell phone your tablet and the fact that we have multiple issues available both in digital and physical uh for people that want to catch up um that's just a fancy little thing because i wanted to be fancy and that's it was there We found, I was finding opportunity to try to bring us and what the book feels like out in part of the build. And so whether that's the naming of the campaign, whether it's the uh, description of the rewards. um, But yeah, so this, and then this 
graphic here. This is um, all of the covers that we have, including the naughty and nice variants done by Steph Wilson and Carrie Ann. Again, wanted to make sure that the artists and the people involved got credit and recognition for that. So bringing that out early in the campaign, if they, you know, some people just don't scroll all the way down to the bottom. Right. Right. You know, give people, okay, well now I get to see all of them all together, which one speaks to me the loudest. And that was really fun and important to do. So for this one, you actually have two music related covers in the um, glam rock and the mega death. Well, that's funny because I mean, if you think about it, because we got Psycho Stick actually gave us permission to use their logo, right? Steph Wilson yeah. covers, and they actually pitched in some of the design idea. Oh, so yeah, we, have, right. we have their feedback that actually helped us. Yeah, and that's and, awesome. and actually, if you take that even further, the yes. the yeah. the last one there is um the last variant cover. It's Bill and Ted's uh, bogus journey, but. That those movies are so filled with yeah. nods well, to, to about, metal music. They're about and whatnot, a duo so. band called the Wild Stallions that saved the world with rock and roll. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we little skeleton versions of them there on that cover. And of course, yeah, awesome. we knew that we were going to be doing that, um, the metal version of the Chris Mad. So, why wouldn't we just center that right there? So, as people yeah. were to continue scrolling down through the page, they get that. that big version of that of that cover we've already sold several of them by the way the day it's funny because we were kind of in a spot where it's like you know how's it you know how (laughs) i I gotta say i love the stamp like this but shiny that's great (laughs) that was sean i thought that was brilliant i was like yes yes i couldn't find a i couldn't find a good way to have it you know show that it's a shiny thing other than maybe having a physical version you can play with and the lighting is always screwy so i was telling chuck i was like i was trying dude i couldn't do it i said how about we just throw a stamp on there that says like this but shiny and he loved the (laughs) idea so that that's what went through i love it and here's where we're telling you know we're telling people it's it's a 32 page book not a 22 page book all of our issues are not standard length. We really gave the story room to breathe. And because it's a black and white uh, book, we didn't have to uh, invest in having a colorist. So we wanted to be able to offer elsewhere to add that value to the book. So people really feel like they're getting um, a product that's worth what they're investing in. Cause that's basically what Kickstarter and stuff is, is people, a bunch of people investing in the potential of, of something being made. So that's all the people involved, of course, up there, up top. That's Sean. That's me, followed by Chuck Pinot. And we got Gregory Warrenchak, our penciler. Uh, Scott Weldon did letters, and Wendy did the did editing. So, yeah, it's our team, man. That's our basis of why the book is what it is. So I have another question for you guys <clears throat> as far as uh, comic creation is concerned. Um, you know, I've created my own comic. And uh, there's a lot of things that you have to discover about standards when you start doing that kind of thing, Uh, whether that's uh, the way the lettering is done or page flow or uh, how many uh, words you can fit on a, uh, in a panel, that kind of stuff. But there is something about breaking standards. Like you have a 32 page comic and that's not standard. Um, Or there's certain story elements or like you said at the very beginning when you were talking about how you know there was a lot of superhero comics out there and you didn't want to do that you wanted to try something else so 
what do you think is the appropriate i think this is this is a good question for like a punk rock podcast is like how do you how do you strike that balance between following and defying conventions so that you strike that middle ground that we call kind of art i i think it's important to have enough things that are familiar that people can go oh i i like that but then stray away enough that um they don't always feel like they're uh, in dangerous territory or, you know, they're somewhere they've never been before. So, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you create any balance? You know what I mean? You just kind of feel it out and, and kind of look at it as you're going going, is this too much or is this not enough or whatever? So I think it's, it's just been kind of us going, you know, does this work? Doesn't this work? What are, you know, are we being, too mainstream or are we too far out there and so it's just a lot of collaboration and back and forth we, we ride the line for the entirety of the book i mean starting off with hell is a very niche type of uh location and the characters that are Definitely. involved um people can make a lot of assumptions of what the story is going to be about or the creators of the story is going to be about um we also chose a grungier artwork style versus a flashy colored style we went with that the, the texture and the gray wash and stuff like that. And our, like I said, the themes of the story, our humor is borderline. I mean, for our generation, you know, it probably fits the bill pretty well, but yeah, for sure. some of the younger generation, they might find out that we have spent the entirety of the book with one leg over the line. And so that continues all the way, even through the formatting of the book, um, like the, the dialogue and just everything that way. So one good thing that's, that's worked to our benefit is that Chuck is very knowledgeable of where those lines exist yeah. and we get to play with, okay, if we were to make this within the guidelines that exist, does it work? And if it doesn't work, how can we make it work? And if that means we got to like punch it in the throat and push it out of the, out over the line a little bit, we're, that's what we're going to do because that's the story that needs to be told in the way that it has worked out that it needs to be told. We need to lose Chuck. I think we're a little past his time. Yeah. Yeah. I do got to run. I'm sorry. I got to, my, my wife for some reason wants me picked up from work. What? Oh, <laughs> whatever. Well, well, thanks well, for the ruined the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> that stuff was not in control <laughs> no, of his own no, life. No, you ruined the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell her I said hi, Wendy. I will, man. Uh, thank you guys so much. I I could talk well, with, with you three forever about music. Seriously, like. Well, thank you guys for both coming and uh, congratulations on your Kickstarter. And I'm I'm sure it's going to kick ass. It's already doing really, really well. And uh, anybody who hasn't read the first two, do it. Fucking do it. Like, if you enjoy anything that we've been talking about, you will love this comic. Absolutely. Now, I know Chuck's got to run. Sean, is there anything you wanted to cover that we did not get to? I think I'm pretty good, guys. Like, like I said, it's a lot of fun. We hit all the bases, the basics, and a little in-depth stuff um, with the with the process, where we go, what we stand for, and what we love, and that that translates to you, you, you gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you look one way. Beautiful. 
Uh, awesome. Um, well, thanks for thanks for uh, being here, man. And uh, it was it was great chatting with you. And I can't wait to do this again for Blah Four because I I'm I'm yeah. sure three is gonna gonna knock it out of the park, and four is gonna be an epic conclusion. Absolutely, anytime. And like I said, I'm working on stuff all the time, so I'm sure I'll be seeing you guys before too long. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, do you have a moment to talk about? Uh, I drive for server. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm interested in that. Uh, I drive for server. It is already a popular um, creepy pasta story that exists on Reddit and in audio format um, with a narrator, vocal vocalist, I guess you could say, um, called Nature's Temper. But Mofucius is the original writer of the I Drive for Cerber story. And when I came across it, I actually really, really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it enough that I was like, you know, the way that it's being told, it works for comics. Because while it was going in my head, I was like, I'm picturing this stuff and the way it played out, just the format of it worked. And I was like, I think on my journey to kind of expand my own knowledge base and skill set, because I wanted to write my own book too. Um, this was a good way in making an adaptation from something that existed to a comic book format. And so in doing the research, I found out that the writer for that story actually only lives a couple hours away from me and got in contact. Um, Kyron Silva was, I've always wanted to work on a book with him. He only lives a couple hours away from me. And so all the pieces kind of fell in line. Um, just by happenstance and i was like okay so this book wants to be made it's not just me because yeah. i mean how often does that happen really that right. you totally. run into a random story find the person and they're like hey you have full rights to do whatever you want with my story and you you have the marketing you have the merch you have anything that you generate with this story as long as you don't add to it you can leave stuff out. So as long as I'm respectful and I make sure that I give the right credits and stuff to the people that are responsible for it, you know, this is turned out to be quite a ride, so to speak. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And what's it about? Just like a brief synopsis. Uh, it's about Jim. He is a down and out, um, I guess you could say middle-aged guy, and he is looking for, a job and so in doing so he's scrolling through his phone finds an app for a ride share service kind of like uber or lyft and he hops on it and he gets a call right away and he's like all right cool i'm gonna go and do this job and it turns out that it is a ride share service for the supernatural the cryptids the creepy nice. pasta people the the slender men of the world, um, so to speak. And in fact, as a slender man, I agree. <laughs> yeah, see, one of the characters, I've got a 12, um, and a 12 page preview that exists. <laughs> Actually, I just got him in because I'm going to a convention next month. So you guys will be the first one to see it live here. Um, I've got the physical edition of the preview. Oh, beautiful. Here. Uh, and so when I say cool. it has the slender men of, of we have Ray. Ah, uh, that's awesome. Oh, that's that, so that's, that's to, Eric. Uh, trying to show you. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, it's all right. <laughs> so there you cool. go. That's Ray. And so, as you can see, he's donning the garb there. So there's enough association, and he's uh, just having fantastic. a yeah, hell fun. of a day. And that that's that's how he's getting started. And that's the first person he picks up, uh, and he great. finds out what the payoff is on that. 
and he gets both cautious and excited, but it sends him off into much more um, terrifying um, like areas or with different creatures and cryptids that are more dangerous. So how is, so, very this, cool. is this one a multiple issue arc? Um, this is going to be two issues. So the two issues that I chose to do um, were the ones that that grabbed my attention the most. And it's actually the first 10 parts of the story um, put into those two issues. And the reason why I chose that as well is because it's also the most personal to the main character of the story. Mm. Um, since the story already exists, I can tell you it has to deal with his deceased sister, what happened to her. Mm. Um, she ends up being picked up as one of his fares. Oh, wow. Craziness kind of ensues from there. Awesome. That's, I mean, honestly, that sounds like, like a, like an unbreakable premise. Like it's just, it's, it was just sitting there waiting for someone to do it, you know, to some degree. They actually, they, before me, they were propositioned for, um, to have a movie made. They were propositioned. They have, um, fan fiction that already exists. And so I really consider myself genuinely lucky to have had the right combination of the right person the right style for the artwork um being able to connect with the person that wrote it and Mm -hmm. it it just like i said the story wanted to be told in a comic book format on its own and i'm just the tool that was able to do that well that's Um, awesome dude uh any any idea when that's going to be uh um going live um barring the success of belial I'm planning on launching this one actually in October because I'm going to a Halloween convention. It's called the Sinister um, Sinister Halloween Convention. And I will be meeting up with the writer and Kyron cool. because it's all in Sacramento. And what better way? So one of the things I did for that is I did actually invest in getting the, you know, the colors, the letters and everything already done. Uh, in full for this this preview so kind of leaning into the exclusivity of a convention plus trying to talk people into backing for the kickstarter and offering up something that is going to be um exclusive and with already being an existing and popular story i felt it was a good investment to try to do that is there a kickstarter page to follow it out there right now not yet, not yet. And that's solely because every morning I wake up and I start trying to make new ads and new memes and yeah. stuff for Belial. And I do the same thing right before bed. And because we've done 101 podcasts at this point. So time is limited, but next month's going to be a really busy month for me to kind of reset. And then the following month, I, I start all that over again. This time, unfortunately, without the assistance of Chuck. But we'll we'll see we'll see That's if I okay. have it in me to kind of pull this. It's a one bit out. of a blessing in disguise. It's it, there's life without Chuck too. Yeah, there is. Uh, Chuck so Chuck is a fantastic collaborator. <laughs> yeah, at some point you got to decide whether or not you're going to jump into the pit or stand and watch on the sidelines. So that's right. That's well, right. If you, need, if you need somebody to talk to to get over Chuck, there's nobody like the two of us. So <laughs> that's very true, <laughs> dude. I yeah no anything helps and. Honestly, and I'll be very real with you guys. I don't have any bells and whistles available for this one because I've soaked up all of my funds in Belial. 
and mm. for the pre-production of this book and stuff like that. So um, I'll probably be reaching out. <laughs> That's yeah. no problem. I've been wanting to someday do a Kickstarter that is just a straight book with no variants or no nothing extra. Just buy this book on Kickstarter. Like That's pretty much what this is going to be. Of course, I do have um, stickers and stuff that I did as kind of advertisements because I wanted it to feel like it's an actual service. And I don't know if you saw on my TikTok, I made a couple of what feel kind of like oh, real yeah. life commercials yeah. for yeah. server. Yeah, no, those yeah, were kinda, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I was test driving those early on to see if they were going to be something that got people's attention. And so I tried to learn some basics to like editing and stuff like that. And Eric, you were a lot of help with that as well. Um, so thank you for that even right off the bat, but it's just guerrilla marketing, guerrilla skill building, find a need instead of having all the time to learn everything. I, I try to find out what it is I need to know. And then That's I try to do my whole career. <laughs> like, I became yeah. a video producer eventually by doing that. Like I, if somebody needed something, I learned how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I got to say, Sean, like watching your, your meme and your ad game, like people should be taking notes. You know what you're doing, man. Honestly, I after I, I noted after your last Belial campaign, when you really went heavy with the memes and stuff, I noted that after that, everybody started doing it, but they didn't really understand, I don't think, why yours worked. Like, Well, I, okay, so I went to the University of Cincinnati, uh, and I was going to be early childhood education with a minor in communication design. And so a lot of that had to do with some of those advertising elements and stuff. And so what I was able to pick while I was going there is that you always have to find a theme that fits. And so when making the memes and doing the stuff like that, I was trying to find the, the core elements that exist because you can put funny stuff up there, but it's not going to resonate the same if you're not carrying out the intent of what you're yeah. speaking to. So it's all right. supportive. So if you're not throwing supportive information out there, people are just going to get confused and it's going to have less of a success rate. So I yeah. try, I dabble. Uh, you guys nailed that because I, saw, yeah. I still see it today. People throwing up memes just to throw up memes, but they just don't resonate the way the Belial stuff did. Like, yeah, no, I appreciate that recognition. Really. Um, I spent a lot of time during that one. I think I had over a hundred memes that I had ready to go before the campaign even launched. Um, this one, I had a few, not as many. So I'm still kind of building each day. Like I wake up and do a little bit of digging in and researching just like um, yesterday or the day before, for whatever reason, I woke up and was like infomercial. So I made a Billy Mays and I made like the, the hell shopping network ad and it's fun. And I'm like, it fits. I'm just, we're, I'm, I really feel like I'm selling myself at this moment. So I made that the one that was like, it's a comic you'd sell yourself for, but you'll be glad that you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, we got to wrap up. Um, my man, yeah, I only have like uh, eight minutes left on my cell, uh, my laptop before it dies. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, <laughs> gentlemen. Oh, go ahead. I can say, go get out of here. And <laughs> <laughs> how was uh, Gus Palooza was just recently, right? Um, we can talk about that another time. Okay. Scratch that. I, cut, cut, cut. <laughs> yeah. I don't, cut here's the thing. Out. I, I don't want to talk shit, but my mom told me if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Okay. Send me so the transcript. We can elaborate there. next episode. Okay. Um, 
I have um, Punk the Burbs coming up next uh, Friday and Saturday. So if you're in the Lyle, Illinois area, which isn't too far outside of Chicago, come check out the Bull Weevils, Kalimasi, much the same, and Muck Spout. And uh, pick up Blister. I'll have Blister books there. I'm just starting to ship them. And uh, you can be one of the first to own them as well. Uh, I cannot wait for Blister, man. Uh, yours will be in the mail this week. Nice. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, I am too. I want to. I want to see you holding it. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm definitely. I'm sending you pictures. I'm making TikToks. You're gonna get everything that I can do for you, man. <laughs> Appreciate it, Sean. What's the show that you're gonna be at next? Uh, good the, one before the Halloween one, right? No, the the oh, Halloween one is the next one. Um, after that, I don't have another one until February. I live in a super like rural area. So even to get to that one, to, to get even to my closest comic book shop, it's about an hour away from where I live. Yeah. So I have to kind of pick and choose because it gets kind of spendy. Yeah. Cool. Anything uh, you want to talk about real quick, Ben? Or are you? Uh, how's the uh, I have I have 7% on my laptop. Okay. Cool. <laughs> John, it is always a pleasure talking to you. Like, in, Definitely. In case. And uh, Ben... Thanks for uh, always a pleasure.